You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Welcome to another one in the Trowers and Hamlins series, Positive Influencers. My name is Sarah Bailey and I'm the Senior Partner of Trials and Hamlins and I'm delighted today to welcome Matthew Gordon, who's the Chief Executive of Spectra. Welcome, Matthew. Hello there. Thank you so much for joining us. You're the Chief Executive, as I said, of Spectra, but could you tell us a little bit about that organisation and also your role in the Care Leavers Covenant? Sure. So Spectra started August 28, 2014, and I have a learning and development and law background, not as sophisticated as yourself, mm-hmm. but um, I was super frustrated by what I was seeing in the social care sector. And I thought that Spectra could offer something different for those who were accommodating and looked after children. And when I mean different, what I observed was that some of our young people were what I would consider they'd just been warehoused there wasn't much being built into their future. There wasn't an, an active effort to ensure that they had a strategy beyond turning 18. So the accommodation that we set up focused on building aspirations, raising levels of attainment, having a strategy for when that young person transitioned out of the care system. Um, and that was the single purpose for Spectra, restorative practice for our young people. I have to say, as a member of the Care Leaders Business Council, I've seen firsthand the the fantastic work that the Covenant does and that Spectra does in actually promoting it. Could you just explain to the listeners a little bit more about how the Care Leaders Covenant actually works? And then perhaps we can then go on and speak some of the direct examples of an impact it has had on people's lives. Sure. So we don't run supported accommodation facilities anymore. Uh, but in 2017, one of our young people, Ryan, who was our first young person that we looked after, he left, uh, turned 18. And what we saw, what we witnessed when our young person, three months after he, he left, was just astonishing. Um, there's always the example. If you ever need anything, just get in touch. I'm always here. And he never called. And that was disappointing, to be honest. So I went looking for him. He moved out of Borough into a borough called Dudley. And what I discovered was just not acceptable to us as a business. And we decided that as we'd set up a benevolent fund and do everything that we could, um, both financially and practical support to get things back on an even keel. And then when we asked the questions, Zara, so many of his peers were in a similar position. So we lobbied the, the government and didn't really get much traction. And in fact, when we first met with the DWP January 2017 about this very issue, they didn't really know about our young people. So there was one document called Sea Potential, and that had a little section. It was a very nice case study of our young person who was care experienced, who was a chef at Marriott Hotel, but that was it. And then fortuitously, seven months later, the Keep On Caring policy document came out, um, and that was shaped by Edward Timpson from the Timpson family or dynasty, and that was uh, had five key outcomes around transitioning our young people to independent living, 
that they have better access to education, training, and employment, feel safe and secure, mental health and well-being, and financial literacy. And so out of that policy document, the covenant was one of the outputs, one of the products that they thought was essential in order to stitch organizations together with meaningful offers for our young people. Now, if anybody knows anything about Spectra's history, we were tiny. We were operating as one building, but we understood firsthand what it took to work with businesses to challenge them to be far more empathetic. And uh, we went for it. We had no business being in that space, but we absolutely believed that we had something to offer. And I remember at the department sitting there and thinking, still massive respect to some of my peers. They, they're not getting it. And I said, I think we should go for this. And we absolutely went for it. And fortunately, the Justin Greening was the Secretary of State then. And it was quite clear that we said something that was different. We've been referred to by colleagues at the departments as disruptors and quite innovative and forward-thinking, and that must have come through in our tender response. So it works very similar to the Armed Forces Covenant, Zara, which was, was introduced by Cameron, which has a similar purpose for our veterans and armed, former Armed Forces personnel who are reintegrating back into society. We negotiate meaningful offers in the private sector, public sector, and the third sector, to see how they can be far more supportive of our young people. And they're called signatories. And Trowers and Hamlins are probably one of our best signatories. Uh, we've done some amazing work in trying to help local authorities come up with a framework for uh, leveraging their social value. Um, one of your partners led that piece of work. Yeah. We have another one of your partners who sits on our advisory board um, and so it's been an amazing collaborative effort and more recently um, you, you sit on the business council and you've supported our uh, a particular young legal aspirant who has huge ambitions so that's how it works in a nutshell but if I can just say where we think this the essence of this comes from in terms of Spectra's approach um, there's a great screenplay by Eugene O'Neill, uh, The Iceman Cometh. And in that play, he speaks about the difference between pity and compassion. And often, mm. p pity is seen as spectators, whereas when you are executing compassion, you are a participant. And we think that our relationship with Trowers and other signatories is that we've moved from just being merely spectators, isn't this a sad story, aren't those stats dreadful, to actually being active participants in reversing this very horrible trend for our young people. And that's what signatories are. They're not bystanders, they're not just spectators, they are getting rolling their sleeves up and saying, what can we do to lessen the burden for our young people who have historically gone without. So I hope that makes sense. No, no it actually does. And I think one of the most powerful messages that, that I heard when, um, when you asked me to get involved was the fact that 
putting your myself, I suppose, um, looking at my my children who've had the benefit of the security, both emotional and financial security around them, um, and doors opened because of the very nature that you can, because you, that you that's what you do, that you meet somebody and realise they'd have none of that. They have absolutely none of that, particularly those children who've moved from home to home to home to home. And it might not be that they were bad homes or anything like that, but they just don't have those same opportunities and sometimes the same confidence. And I think the biggest lesson I've, I've learned in all of this is I, I also think it's very easy to, without meaning to be, to be condescending and to be slightly patronising. And actually, it's not about that. It's about yeah. empowering them to do what they've got, the, the potential they've got. And, and yeah, I think it's just amazing. And I think more more businesses need to be involved in it because we, we just need to sort of really show how we can actually change it. So I absolutely completely agree with you on all of that. I think another part that I get, I mean, as you can tell, I get a bit passionate about these things, but one thing I, I get really passionate about is social mobility and how different professions and different organisations have got to start not just talking the talk, but really walk the walk in opening the doors up to people from different backgrounds um, and different opportunities and accepting, I think, in, in that you are simply not going to have some people coming up a traditional route. That is just not going to be open to them. So you have to think wider as business to that. Yeah. Um, do you think businesses could be doing more to engage and enhance opportunities for young people? I think it's a great question. And I think, you know, Simone Weil, French philosopher, said, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. I think in the first instance, we need to give this challenge our attention and to see as an important enabler. So that's the first thing. Give it our attention. Uh, we have this commitment in the first instance, a willingness to engage. And it is about trying to give our, uh, establishing that rapport getting to know communities that have been historically underserved, moving on to, once we move past report, trying to, the diagnosis phase, I think, trying to understand where our uh, underserved, underrepresented groups are coming from, and then developing a very tailored plan which meets the needs of those, that community. Going through that process where we have the commitment we're building that rapport. We're trying to discover where the gaps are and having a plan and reviewing that plan once it's been implemented, I think is up and fundamental building blocks for, for stronger engagement from corporations. So I suppose moving away from Spectra for a minute and just coming to you um, as an individual, and you, you've driven this forward and you're, you're absolutely passionate about, about all of this. So can we talk a little bit about, about you and your wider interest, what's driven you to, to have this incredibly positive influence on society? It's a, it's a good question. It's not, it's not something I speak about very often, but my brother was killed when I was 12 in a very just unfortunate situation, and he had mental health challenges. And I think that clearly those things at the age of 12 stay with you. Mm. And it was probably one of the most tragic deaths just before Stephen Lawrence was killed. And I think it allows you to see complex vulnerabilities in a very different way. And you replay in your head what could have been done to prevent this tragedy, this catastrophe. So I think that had a massive impact on my life. And when you begin to, and I was at school, I was so rocked by that. 
situation that it impacted my schooling and I failed miserably. I mean, I failed the exams that I cheated on. That's how <laughs> much I was, I was impacted. And, um, but I had a, a guy that I met at camp, Paul Chisholm, his name. And when I failed all of my exams first time around, he said, come and do some work experience for, with me in London. And I, so I, I'm from the Midlands. So that was a bit of an adventure and it was IT and, you know, people in the office drove Audis and fancy cars. And I was just, it was a different world for me, but it was something that I needed at that time. And uh, it absolutely had a positive difference. So I think in answer to your question, tragedy has definitely shaped my values and built empathy but also the recognition that nobody's self-made. And so I have benefited from um, a very strong network, loving community, a helping hand. And that is something that I am prepared to give back. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of nobody's self-made. Everybody has has drawn from others. Um, yeah. And my, my parents were, were also quite keen. No, I agree. I think... Um... We, we all need a bit of luck as well in our lives and uh, um, we, you know, you've got to make the most of it, but we all need it. And I think that sometimes we, we forget that when we're looking at where people are in life. So looking back at, I mean, obviously terrible tragedy, coming through that and going to London and working through it, what, what was like the best bit of advice you were given? Or was there one piece of advice that you look back on and think, oh, that was it, that was their moment? Uh, my parents are Jamaican, so they're always giving these wisdom. <laughs> so... Um, a couple of things. I think my dad said once, I was had a girlfriend, I was thought I was in love or something, and my mum was horrified, and she's like, you need to speak to him. And so I was called into the, the front room, and my dad said, son, I've been married to your mum for a long time now, and let me tell you that relationships take time and money, and you have neither... <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I had no idea what he meant by it, but I do now. And I think in terms of relationships, we do need to invest time and resources in order to make them successful. And that cuts across the board, whether that's in our work settings, social settings, personal lives, we need to invest time and resources to, to make that work. And then my mom was Christian and very religious. She said, what profited the man to gain the world and lose his soul? So she would, she would never be impressed by things yeah. um, as long as your values are right or balanced or, you know, where there is equity. So she, she was big on that. So I think those two things I definitely take forward. And, and turning that, so a bit off piece here, but turning that off on its head, what piece of advice would you give? to someone um, to sing in your shoes? What do you think the best, the best advice you could give someone is? Um, okay. The other thing that my father said to me was that you should never leave a situation in a worse position than what you found it. And, mm -hmm. and I think that is what I would share with others in, in that often when you're doing this quite uh, important work that we've embarked on, it gets tough and you can think, I've had enough of this. Yes. Oh, I, this feels like a thankless task. But you've, you've got to finish. You've got to keep plugging away. And, you know, that is what has allowed us to get 
through this and grow the covenant and build these links because we haven't finished and we've got work to do. And, you know, I'm absolutely thrilled that Travers has decided to join us in this mission to, to improve the lives of some of our most vulnerable young people. So, yeah, that, that would be my small piece. But you'd be pleased to know that's probably the bit of advice that my father gave to me, which was you never start something if you're not prepared to finish it, no, no matter how hard it is. So I think it's, um, there we go, we're, we're both on a mission to finish. We've run this series and, and spoken to lots of people from, from in different arenas and, and different areas. But the one question we've asked absolutely everybody is, if there was one thing that you would really like to positively change, positively influence over the next year or the next five years, what would it be? Well, super question. And it's something I've thought about a lot. I've just finished a program with, it's called the 10 KSB program with Goldman Sachs and Oxford. And they're big on purpose mm. on, on this and also legacy. And I think we're doing it. I wrote about the Next Step Fund and the Equity Foundation in my growth plan. And I think what we've already started with Trowers, reshaped by your team, your head of charity, is precisely where I want us to be. I think it's a, a shared mission, as we've outlined. And I know that it's going to take a minimum of five years to start to have the impact that we're aiming for. So I would say, yeah, that's a legacy. The, the building of the, the, the scope of the Equity Foundation and also a very clear, sustainable model for the Next Step Fund that supports some of our nation's most vulnerable. And just before we go, could you just, for the listeners who haven't actually heard about the Next Step Fund, could you just outline what we're trying to achieve by it? Because I think it would be really good for any of those businesses listening in to see what that fund's about um, or why we want them to give us the money. So in terms of a little history, so many of the young people that we have been supported through the Covenant, through the Business Council, we recognise that there are many structural weaknesses, many deficits. Our young people do not benefit from what many would consider the bank of mum and dad. If they need to have a deposit or they need a place to stay, if our young people, when I say our young people, I'm saying those who care experience or who have been estranged from parents don't have that parental support. If, you know, when my kids came home from uni, they came back to their room. And when others who are, who've left the care system, they, you know, are successful enough to progress there is nothing to come home to. And often with the thought of our young people being alone in a dorm whilst everybody has gone back to loved ones at Christmas and during the summer is is really tough. So the fact that, you know, if things break, that our young people can't replace those items. So what we're wanting to do with the Next Step Fund and the Equity Foundation is, you know, again, focusing on social mobility, system change, but it's being a massive enabler for our young people who don't have the support that individuals with birth parents or carers might have. And I think I'd just like to sort of finish it by saying, please, if you, know, if you are listening to this and, and you do want to know more about it, please, please get in touch with Matthew, because this is a really important step. And I've seen I suppose, from an absolutely personal point of view, how important it is to these young people to just have that bit of autonomy and 
to simple things to be able to pay bills while you can go and study things that we take for granted that actually you can't take for granted because you just don't have that support and network um so i would really really ask people to to think very hard about this um and to to contact you matthew yeah thank you zara thank you for the pro bono work that your law firm is doing uh, around this particular mission this uh, project but it is that transition from spectator to participant yeah this is an opportunity an invitation to be a part of the solution an active part of the solution and not just saying isn't it sad uh, we can do something we can lend support to our young people because they absolutely matter absolutely and on that note i'm going to bring this to an end so thank you so much for sharing both your experiences and more about the care leaders covenant um and i'm sure it's only going to grow more and more more successful and help a lot more young people so thank you very much matthew thank you you have been listening to a podcast brought to you by trowers and hamlins find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on twitter at trowers or find us on linkedin and instagram